There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back. It is Silver and Black tonight only here on Southern California's Sports Talk, the Mightier 1090. We are SoCal's only all Raiders talk show. Scockle Branson, Mo Moten with you. Mo is the national senior writer for Bleacher Report, covers the NFL. And we are back talking Raiders football, of course, coming off yet another disappointing loss at home. The Raiders now a 500 team. The playoffs, not out of the question, but certainly nothing they've done makes me believe that this Raiders team is a playoff team. And I bring Mo in now. And Mo, uh, Sunday's game, uh, it was a familiar story. It's something that we've seen over the last three season seasons, a team that can't move the ball on third down, a team that can't consistently be offensively uh, minded, can't come up with the creativity and seems to find itself in a hole that it can never dig itself out of. Scott, we've reached a point in the season where we argue about Derek Carr until we all throw up. That's that's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much where we are right now. Um, I will say this: I didn't expect a lot from the Raiders against the Dallas Cowboys, and look what happened. So right. sometimes I find that when I don't expect a lot from the Raiders, they surprise me and surprise a lot of people. And when I do expect them to step up, uh, they fall flat on their face, crap the bed. But um, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's it's. It's a movie we've all seen before. If you follow the Raiders for the past few years, and we've talked a lot about their second halves, about how they don't finish strong, and what's what's disappointing, and I ranted about this after the Washington Football Team game. Um, you're hearing a lot of the same problems, right. and I think that's troubling because now you're in your third straight year, and you're hearing the same things over and over again from players, from coaches, from Derek Carr, and you're wondering. What is the fix? And a lot of people have point to maybe it's time to switch to quarterback. Oh, no, you went there. And I'm ready to go there, too, Mo. I Listen, here's the thing with this Raiders team. You look at what happened. Of course, they lose 17 to 15, 15 points against the NFL's worst team on third down defensively. That is the Washington football team, a team that can't seem to stop the pass. Oh, yeah. Remember the Raiders passing game, the first seven games of the season? Where has that gone? The Raiders in their six losses, what have they averaged? They've averaged around 16 points. You cannot win in the NFL scoring 15 or 16 points. So you look at this, Mo, and and I know during the game, we we were texting back and forth with our buddy Evan Grote from the Just Pod Baby podcast. And we were talking about this team and talking about the offense and its problems. You look at the offense and the defense together and special teams. It's not just the offense, but clearly the offense is the issue here for the Raiders. It's broke. It has not been fixed. And we'll get to the quarterback in a second. But if you look at this stuff, uh, the defense, which has been middle of the road and improved, it's starting to fall off too, Mo, because it's on the field so dang much. 
Yeah, the defense hasn't got a lot of relief in recent weeks because the Raiders haven't been able to score four points. The Raiders have been under 17 points in four of the last five games. So you can imagine how much your defense is on the field at that point. Now, as you said, the defense isn't great. And I didn't expect the defense to go from bottom tier to top 10 within, right. within the season. I said this during the offseason that it'll improve in areas, but they're still going to have some issues. Now, as you mentioned, they're having problems getting off the field on third down. They, to me, they've always had problems in the red zone. It seems like once the teams get into inside the Raiders' twenty-yard line, it's it's for sure a score. But um, the defense just isn't good enough to the point where it can shut down another team and the offense can score 16, 15 points and win the game. And you saw that last week against Washington. So something has to give here. Uh, the Raiders have injuries piling up. Kenyon Drake's out for the season now. Darren Waller, eh, you know, so. It, now it's piling up, and you're going to say, "Well, the excuse is now it's the injuries." But to me, the Raiders have Raiders' offense has struggled before the injuries, before Henry Ruggs. Remember, two games against the Chargers and the Bears, they scored under 15 points. Yeah. So and, this this has been happening under Gruden as well. And and Mo, everybody deals with injuries. Yeah, sometimes teams have more than others. But all you got to do is look to the team they lost to, Washington, without their two best defensive players, without one of their starting running backs. So so I, here's the thing, Mo. And this will this will dovetail into, and I want everybody to buckle in, buckle in, <laughs> cover the kids' eyes, get ready for high impact. All right, here's the deal. I'm tired of, of excuses. I'm tired of excuses from coaches. I'm tired of excuses from players. I'm tired of excuses from fans who want to see everything through rose-colored glasses, or in this case, silver and black-colored glasses. It doesn't matter unless you win games. Okay, you can win passing titles. Yippee, yay, yay. You can hang it on your wall and feel good about it when you're 75. But let me tell you something. It doesn't win games. It doesn't win championships. All those hard-earned dollars that Raider fans spend on traveling to Vegas, traveling wherever the Raiders go, to buying a personal seat license, to buying season tickets, to be buying 45 jerseys, which I can't believe people do that, but they do. Um, all that stuff. It's about winning. And you know what I'm seeing, Mo, and this dovetails into the Derek Carr situation, which is fans, even the most ardent supporters, some of them I know have listened to this show for a long time on the stations that we've been on, including in Las Vegas. They're now messaging me privately because they're not the kind of people who go on Twitter and flame because they actually are real people and have lives. But anyway, they go, they, they're sending me messages now saying, man, you know what? I, I love Derek, but it's time to move on. It's time to go, you know, we, we, we want to win. We want to win. And I like Derek, but whatever's going on, it's just not working. It's just not working. It's better for both of us. So this is like the, the, the husband or wife who comes home and just says, you know what? The kids are grown. Uh, everything's good. You and I have great lives. We respect each other. We love each other. But you know what? We just, we, it's just time to end it, okay? And I think we might be there, Mo. I'm starting to see more and more people without emotion now. I'm not talking about the the wing nuts who've been arguing about Derek Carr for years back and forth like it's their their mother or their 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 deity. Mm -hmm. um, instead, I'm talking about people who just are tired of it and they just don't see it working. And you brought up something before we went on the air, and I want you to talk about it too, which is if you look at these Raiders teams the last eight years, sure, they've had bad seasons. They've had bad offensive lines. They've had, quote, unquote, no wide receivers, Right. Although I look at the New England Patriots and I'm like, who are their wide receivers? Uh, hello? Anyway, they, they've had all sorts of deficiencies on their roster, okay, over the last eight years. But we've seen some of the same replay over and over again the last three or four years, which is 
start out great, and then you crap the bed, like you said earlier, right? Back end of the season, you just fall apart. And you said there's a commonality there. What is it? Derek Carr has been the quarterback. <laughs> and I don't want to say, and I'm not saying that to say that he is the reason for their mishaps and miscues and their fall aparts, but he is part of it, right? You can't part of it. Yes. You can't, yeah, right. You can't separate him from the Raiders' hardships. Like now, the off the field stuff and some of the stuff beyond his control, nothing to do with him. Right. But when it comes to the product on the field, scoring, scoring in the red zone, converting on third downs, he's a big part of that. You know, he's the quarterback. Whether you whether you want to accept that or not, quarterbacks get a lot of praise when teams win. They're going to get a lot of criticism when teams lose or when teams are not doing well for long stretches. So you do have to say Derek Carr is part of the reason the Raiders aren't performing up to what they should be doing. There's no question. And again, to, to your point, I think you make a, a key distinction here between when we talk about it versus when others talk about it who might have another agenda, whether it's a bias or something like that. And that is, he's not all to blame. I'm, I'm not saying that the, the, the fact that the Raiders um, have had their coach implode on them and then had their one of their star players uh, uh, kill somebody in a car accident, like, you can't script for that. That's not anyone's quote-unquote fault, except for the, those both men who, who were responsible for their actions, okay? I get that. But that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, he controls how he does. Now, I don't care how many yards you have, Okay. You were five and two, and now you're six and six. And not only that, you started to, to name off some of the some of the stats, right? That we've seen uh, over this period of time when the Raiders just haven't been able to score offensively. Now, now listen to these, Mo. If you look at at what they've done in the red zone, it's worst in the NFL. Not only is it worst in the NFL over the last <laughs> over the mm-hmm. last four weeks, it's lower than twenty percent, or it's around twenty percent. The last six weeks, I think it's about 24%, okay? 24% in the red zone. You cannot win games doing that. Then you look at the third down percentage and what they're doing. That, too, is below 30% in almost every single game, except with the exception of a few early on. Um, and, and the quarterback is the general on the field. The quarterback leads this team on the field. Again, people make mistakes, people fumble, people don't catch balls. I get it. Okay, no excuses. Second, Mo, the second point I want to make about this situation is when Josh Jacobs came into that post-game press conference and he talked about that sometimes players come out and they're, they're just kind of mailing it in, they're not focused, uh, they don't have that intensity, that swag, he called it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's individual to a person. I get that. But who is the leader on the offense? Do you think players that play for Tom Brady, that play for Aaron Rodgers, uh, and even Patrick Mahomes, who's a younger guy, uh, to a certain extent, do you think if they came out and were lollygagging that their quarterback would let them get away with it? I don't think so. It comes down to leadership. I'm not saying Derek Carr's not a good leader, but he has not, for whatever reason, clearly, if you have your offense and your star running back has to call guys out, I think there's a problem there. And, we, and we've heard this story before, right? Yes. Last year, Alec Engel talked about lack of commitment, right? That, I believe that was in Vinny Bontanio's story for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Yeah, and Derek Carr won at after one loss, he talked about not bringing enough juice or something along those lines. And I, and I'm looking at, I'm thinking about this, and I'm saying, well, as a leader at with that C in your chest, part of, part of your job is to motivate your guys. Now, as you said, part of you know a lot of that has to do with individuals. They have to be able, grown men have to be able to get up and do their job. But as a leader, there's more responsibility on your plate. Now. Going back to the production on the field, I just want to make a quick note. People are going to 
jump back at you, Scott, and say, well, Darren Wall's been hurt. Offensive line got revamped and is not what we thought it would be. You know, what happened to Henry Ruggs outside of Derek Carr's control. I have two things to say about that. Mm. Derek Carr's career, not just this year, but Derek Carr's career. I'm looking at his completion percentage, his passer rating right now, and it drops with every month. From September through December, it drops. His completion percentage, 68%, 66%, 63%, 61% from September to December. His, his passer rating goes from 96.5 to 99.6, 89.5 to 86.8 from September through December. So it is not just about this year and what's happened to the Raiders this year or not having a defense or not having this or that. Derek Carr's numbers bear out that his play drops off as the season goes on. Every year. And as every year. And this is this is these are his career splits. This isn't just this year or last year, or the last three years. This is his full scope of his career. His numbers drop as the season goes on. Not a good sign if you want to make the playoffs as a team trying to make a push over the hump. Yeah, that and I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that before we were on the air. Uh, that's shocking. I mean, but but and to me, it dropped that nugget on you. You did. It was not. It was nice. Everybody out there is like, "Oh yeah, but he didn't have any receivers." Oh, sorry. Um, uh, but sorry. I have to. I'm just tired of excuses, man. And not just with the Raiders, with everything in the in the world right now. I'm tired of excuses. But nonetheless, we'll stick to football. Uh, and Mo, that's important because listen, you as a team, especially with the new. I mean, you look at the NFL this year, for example. How many teams are at or above 500, especially on the AFC side? It's crazy, right? And so to win in the NFL, you have to get hot towards the end of the year. You can't win 10 games in a row and then lose six in a row going to the playoffs expect to do well, right? It's a November, December, now early January league. You've got to win going down when it gets tough. When you lose bodies because of injuries, the whole attrition thing happens. That's when you have to step up and you have to play your best football. You can look at the Chiefs, who they're going to play Sunday in Kansas City. The Chiefs, remember how everybody said, oh, Chiefs, done, done. They're not even going to make the playoffs this year. They look like crap. Guess what they're doing? They're starting a streak. It started against the Raiders, by the way. And they're about, they're, they're continuing to get better, even though Patrick Mahomes is still struggling in some ways. They're continuing to give. That's what good teams do. Good teams, great quarterbacks, not just good quarterbacks. Great quarterbacks lead their teams towards the postseason. There's no question about it. You want to give me excuses about it. I don't want to hear it because it doesn't matter, Mo. And I think this whole idea of the splits and him fading down the, the, the stretch, I don't know how anybody can explain that away. Because you, how do you start so well then? If, if Those years that he didn't have receivers, for example, or his offensive line was bad, um, they were the same the first half as the second half for the most part, right? It's not like you get much better if you don't have wide receivers. So I don't, I don't know how people can explain that away. Yeah, and that was my complaint last year is people saying, well, this or that, he doesn't have this or that, this unit isn't playing well, the offensive line is is breaking down. I said, well, he's had the same, pretty much the same personnel. This is last year now. Last year I was saying he had pretty much the same personnel at the beginning of the year. What changed between the beginning of the year, September and October, to November and December? Yeah. So you can't tell me that Derek Carr can pull his team to victories early in the season. Why can't he do it late? You know, And I think it's something with him. I, I think it starts with him. Yeah, it is. And that's why, you know, I can't sit here and criticize him because I don't know what it is. Like, 
I, I don't know why, you know, me, is it mental? I mean, so much of sports is mental. I mean, it's physical. Look, Derek Carr's got all the physical abilities. I don't think anybody's ever questioned that, that I've ever seen, right? That they're a, that he's got the arm, he's got the ability. Yeah, he's not the most fleet of foot, but he's got everything you want in a professional quarterback for the most part. So, so if it's not physical, he's not hurt this year, knock on wood, right? We don't like anybody getting hurt, and he hasn't gotten hurt. Um, and so if that's the case... Then, then all you have to look towards is the mental side of preparation and being ready for that kind of big run at the end of the season. Now, if it's a season where he's 2-12, and 12, you can almost understand falling off a little bit towards the end of the year when you got nothing to go for and you might be playing uh, third stringers and stuff. Who knows? To evaluate, right? I don't know in those seasons um, what happened. But when it's consistent, when it's consistent over the last three years, especially the last two years where they had – uh, arguably the best offensive units they've had over the last several years. It's it's really perplexing. And again, we're not here to hate on anybody. I don't dislike Derek Carr. I don't. I've never said anything negative about the man outside of his play when he plays poorly. So so I'm not an emotional fan. I'm not someone sitting here. Oh yeah, you can't attack my quarter my quarterback, man. My quarter. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just objectively looking at him as a player, and as a player in a contract year who the Raiders now have to decide whether or not they're going to hitch their staff to for the next five years. Yeah, and, and I've been consistent with this take, and this is going to make people on both sides of the Derek Carr debate upset. Derek Carr is good enough of a player that you can win a Super Bowl with him if he has a strong supporting cast, which right. is the case for most quarterbacks. We understand that. But he is not good enough to the point where I would ignore possible upgrades, and that is where I stand right now with Derek Carr, is that if I can find an upgrade in the offseason, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, I know Deshaun Watson has his legal issues, but if he is cleared of that and he clears those hurdles, Deshaun Watson, I put him in that conversation. If any one of those three guys are available in the offseason, I'm going for it. That's just me. Yeah, you have to. And I understand some people argue, well, you're going to give away a, a bona fide starting quarterback and and then you want to go to somebody else. Well, to your point, if you upgrade to like a Russell Wilson, I mean, that's a no brainer, right? Mm. But at the and, same. And, go ahead. And really quick, people are going to say, well, Russell Wilson's not playing that well this year. Take Russell Wilson's best year and take Derek Carr's best year. <laughs> who has a better resume? And by Just the way, staying. who's been to the playoffs and who's won? I mean, come on. Let's, right. let's not even right. get into that argument, right? Right. But, but, but I you will know they were going to bring that up. Yeah. You know that was coming. But here's the thing is I've never, I've never seen, and, and, I, you know, I, and if I anger some Raider fans, so be it. I've never seen a fan base that's so in love with the past, even when the past is crappy. So, so Derek Carr has done well, and I, I wish him the best if he, if he were to move on from the Raiders. I hope he goes and wins the Super Bowl somewhere. I don't care. It's good for him. But I've never seen people try to go back to the past, even the crappy past, right? Bring back Hugh Jackson. Bring back this guy. Oh, and Will Compton, who's a good guy, and I love him. He's funny on his podcast. He gets signed because of the injury. Oh, man. Whoa. It's like, oh, my gosh. Look, come on. Don't you want to win? And I think most Raider fans do. I'm not bunching all Raider fans because they're not all that way. But let's think about the future. You don't gain anything by just staying steady state when you've been a loser. And, and again, I'm not calling Derek Carr a loser, but he is from a record, a win and loss perspective. Okay. And so to me, it's a natural time, Mo. If you're going to do it, you have the out on the contract. Go get a bridge quarterback if you don't get a big upgrade. And then you, you go get a young guy that you're going to develop or you're going to count on in, in coming years. Based on what's around him. If you have a top 10 defense and you have a, a 
you know, upstart wide receiver or a top <clears throat> wide receiver, Derek Carr can get you to the playoffs, and you can probably yes. win a game, a couple of games, or probably get close to to the Super Bowl with him. No doubt. But, but, but if your if your front office is not hitting on draft picks, which Rays have not done, <laughs> and and your players are getting in trouble off the field, getting pulled off the field, or not have, players are getting hurt or not healthy, yeah. Derek Carr is going to struggle to get you to the playoffs, and we've seen that for the past three years. Right. It's got to be all perfect around him, and I understand that, and, and, and that situation works for him. All right, we're up against our first break. We got that out. Whew. And I know yeah, some people probably turned off the dial because they don't like to hear any any, any real stuff, any neg- well negativity or just criticism. So, And that's cool. Hey, we love you anyway. Uh, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, we're going to put that stuff aside. We'll finish up the show with a little bit of talk. Uh, about Carr and the offense and where the Raiders are going. But next, we're going to talk to Joe Valerio. Joe used to play offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's with the Chief, I Believe in Chiefs podcast. He's going to join us, and we're going to talk about the Raiders versus the Chiefs coming up on Sunday. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. to Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. All right, welcome back. Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. Hope you're having a great Friday night. Southern California as the Raiders look to get back to winning ways before they get a tough one. Sitting at 6-6, six and six, they now have to go to Kansas City and a place that has been an absolute nightmare for them. That, of course, is Arrowhead Stadium. And joining us to talk about the Chiefs, give us some insight to how this team has turned it around in 2021, is former Chiefs offensive lineman. He used to protect a guy you might know, a guy named Joe Montana or something like that. Uh, His name is Joe Valerio. Joe is also the co-host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. Joe, thanks for joining us here on Silver and Black tonight. Oh my God! Great to great to join you. It, you know, pleasure. It, it, listen, it's it's Raiders week, and it is in in any Chiefs fan, player, anybody involved in the organization. It is in our DNA to think of this week as Raiders week, and it's like I just I still get chills when I think about it. You know, the autumn wind starts playing. Bum, 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 it's like John Facenda's voice, and you know. Chris Berman, the Raiders. It's like I just I get like chills thinking about it because it was such a great rivalry. Uh, you know, unfortunately, till the Rich Gannon era, it was it was probably not a great rivalry for Raiders fans, but more for the Chiefs. But we loved it. I mean, the, the NF, you know, the NFL is is a better league because of the Raiders. They they have such like their NFL royalty, and they just have such gravity, you know, uh, and such weight. Uh, when you think about the Raiders and, and what they've brought to the NFL over the years. So it's great. It's great. It's, it's a really cool rivalry. And I'm glad it still still exists as, as an AFC West rivalry. Yeah, well, and Joe, it's funny you say that too. And you mentioned Rich Gannon. We had him on the show last year before one of the Chiefs games. And he talked about his time there and how Marty Schottenheimer really kind of brought back that kind of, hey, it's Raiders week, we got to go out. As a player for you, when you played on the Chiefs, 
you know, when you went into Raiders week, talk about like mentally for you guys in the locker room, uh, because of the historic nature of it, going back to Len Dawson and all those guys and all, and, and all the fights and all that stuff. Um, what, how different was it for you that week over, let's say the Broncos week or the chargers week, the other AFC West teams? You know, it's a great question, and you think, well, look, it's AFC West. There's a lot of contention among all teams. There's always been a little bit of parity in the AFC West. Um, but there was just there was something about the way that at least my tenure there in the time that I was in Kansas City, the, the, the amount of importance that Marty put on this game. I mean, he had signs up all over the locker room. It was on the top of our playbook that was handed out at the beginning of the week. It's Raiders week, and, like, you, you almost wanted to be like, Coach, you know, isn't isn't your old philosophy that, you know, the, the most important game is the next game? But, like, he, he would still say, yeah, but it's Raiders. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and we we also got, you know, I've stayed in touch with Rich over the years and, and um, you know, both a couple of Philly guys. And, and uh, you know, when he got there in, in, in Kansas City, obviously he got to be a part of that side of it. But then when he went to the Raiders, and we had him on our podcast not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago before the before the uh, the first Raiders game on the 14th, and he was telling me and giving me a lot of insight into how when he got there, the Raiders didn't approach it the same way the Chiefs did, and it was a, it was no wonder why the Chiefs had dominated the series because there was this. This, this extra chip on the shoulder of the Chiefs organization that they had towards the Raiders, and, and it showed in Marty's record against the Raiders. And then what Rich did is when he got to, to you know, to, to with the Raiders organization, he, he kind of tried to flip that narrative and say, guys, you got to think, they're, they're sitting in the locker room right now on Monday pacing about this game. And so let's get with it because this is, this is Chiefs week. And, and I think what, what Rich did is if you look at his record, against the Chiefs, he totally turned that thing on its head. And it does tell you something about the way you approach a game mentally. You know, NFL players are always looking for some kind of bulletin board material or an edge, right? As you as you play the game longer and longer and, and it becomes more of a job and a career and things like that, you know, you, you, it's, not that, it's not that NFL players take the next game for granted or they take games for granted, but they want to have something to, to sink their teeth into. And, you know, the Chiefs always found a way to do it you know, with the Raiders and, and until Rich got there and he and he turned it on its head. So, Joe, the way you, you break down this rivalry and in your fourth season in Kansas City, the Chiefs have had the best of the Raiders. I believe the Raiders have won once between 92 and 95. So even though the Raiders were, I guess, behind the Chiefs in the division, even though that was so, you would say that you still took them pretty seriously, even though we're like, okay, we, we're the better team, we have the better record, but still the emotions in that locker room, the rivalry, would you say that was the best rivalry? Would you say no matter what the Raiders' record was, you took that game ultra seriously? They could have been literally. It could have been the last game of the season, and they could have been zero and fifteen, and we would have looked at that game the same exact way. And I mean, I say that with all sincerity. I'm not joking. And then you got to come from my perspective, right? Like my my rookie season, 1991, and then I, I actually started against the Raiders in that 92 season. And you know, I think about like the fact that you know. Six months earlier, I'm blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard, mm. and then I'm going against Howie Long. Like, what? I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, does this? Am, am I dream? Is that it, like somebody pinch me? You know, am I dreaming this? You know, and um, you know, and that, and that, and I'll tell you that that um, you know that '92 season where you know we split, and then we ended up coming back, and and I'm sorry, it was, it was '91, 
where we split with them and then ended up playing them again uh, in the playoffs in the first round. That was, come on, like it didn't get any better than that. Play the Raiders three times in one season. As a rookie, I'm watching this unfold in front of my eyes. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, short of that, the same thing for me personally happening with the Eagles because I grew up in Philly. Like that was, that was it. Like I, I couldn't believe it was happening because I was always a Raiders fan. Like growing up, I mean, you know, because growing up in blue collar Philly, you know, they were a team I could identify with in the AFC West. I couldn't identify with a whole lot of other AFC West teams or, or even AFC teams for that matter. I had the Steelers a little bit because I'm a Pennsylvania kid and they were a little mm-hmm. bit blue collar, but you know, there was something about the Raiders that you just, you just love, you know, the cast of characters. I go back to my days at Lester Hayes and Ted Hendricks and Howie Long and John Matuzak and, you know, o- Otis Sistrunk, you know, from mm-hmm. the University of, of Mars. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I just, I just, I, I loved them. I loved when they would show up on Monday night football and, you know, I just, uh, I, I just think they're, I think I really do it. I'm not just saying that because you guys are a Raiders, you know, broadcasting, you know, organization. I, I just look at them as NFL royalty and, and mm-hmm. really a, a, a weighty NFL team because of their history. Joe Valerio, former offensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs, now also the co-host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. And Joe, you you go to the Chiefs 2021. Of course, they come off the the loss in the Super Bowl. Um, they come out and and they don't start the season well. And everybody's a little bit in shock. Everybody's quick to say, "Well, boy, that that Kansas City." "Quote unquote uh, empire is suddenly falling really quickly. Is does Andy Reid lost it? Has Patrick Mahomes lost it? They struggle for a little bit, and then they start to turn it around. It started with the Raiders, I think, that game, and now they seem to be back to normal. Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he's not putting up the exact same numbers he was over the last couple of years, but he seems to have found a better groove. Seems to be working on some of the things that were ailing him earlier in the season. But for you, if you look at one thing with the offensive side." What's been the big difference over the last several weeks that's really turned this around for Andy Reid and the Chiefs? Well, I, number one, number one, it's the confidence in the defense. You know, I mm. think what Patrick was doing as the defense was really struggling. Like, let's be honest. The, the, the beginning part of the season, I, I have to imagine that they were wondering, and, and Steve Fagnola, the coach, was like, what happened? Like, yeah. we go out, we get Jaron Reed to shore up the middle. We're trying to develop this linebacking core. You know, we're hoping that Tyron Matthew, you know, has the season that he's had in the past as a leader and it's a big hitter. And then all of a sudden, you move Chris Jones out, sign him to a big deal. Frank Clark, right? I mean, you know, they've got this defensive line. You're like, wow, this is going back to, like, defensive lines of the Chiefs in the 90s, right, with Derek Thomas and Neil Smith, Dan Salamua and Joe Phillips. And it's like, wow, like, this is, this is going to be something else. And then when the defense didn't do what they needed to do, there was a lack of confidence, I believe. Again, I'm not in the locker room, but I'm going to look from an outside player's view and also somebody who had been in the locker room. I think I think Patrick lost confidence in the defense, and he was trying to put too much on his shoulders. Guys, the guy's carrying the entire Midwest on his shoulders, right? Because there's a lot of fans <laughs> in the Midwest who don't have a pro team to root for, so you know they all gravitate to Kansas City. And there's a lot of NFL fans who who really love the Chiefs because of the of what they've been able to do and some of the, you know, excitement that they bring to the game. And, and I, I think that Patrick was just trying to do too much. And I think he still is to a certain degree, but I think what, what the change has been is over the last couple of weeks, he's, he's watching the defense perform and he's thinking, okay, I don't have to win this game myself. 
you know, I, I don't have to put the entire weight of the Chiefs organization and fan base on my shoulders and carry this team into the end zone. And I think that's been a really good thing for him, right, to see that the, the defense can make stops. They can limit the amount of time the other team is on the field. They can, you know, actually make some plays that can cause their own offense, so to speak. And, and I think that's been the biggest thing um, that they've done. I still think Patrick is trying to do some things maybe that, you know, he, he's, he's playing a little bit outside of himself. But, look, I'm going to give credit to other teams, too. You know, the defensive coordinators in the NFL get paid pretty well, and the head coaches of other teams get paid pretty well. They don't sit around just ooing and aahing about the Chiefs' offense. <laughs> they put in game plans to try to stop it, right? right. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they bracket Kelsey, they bracket Hill, they put seven up into the box, try to stop the running game. You know, when the running game's not working, they can pull some guys back to, you know, play more, uh, you know, more strategic pass defense. So, you know, they're learning how to rush Patrick, right? I think I think what, 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 what NFL teams that have had success against Patrick have done is they've done a different kind of a rush. When you rush Patrick, like, all out, he's going to find the pocket within the pocket. So, like, your, your listeners and, and, and the people that, that follow you should, should watch the game. Watch how – when the line, what what looks like is a breakdown in the offensive line protection, is really just Patrick finding a strategic place to step up, move around a little bit, and give Kelsey and Hill and his other receivers another second or two to find the hole in the defense. That's been their mo. But if you can take away those 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 lanes from Patrick and keep him, of course, going to his right. Don't let him go to his right. Number one, mm-hmm. force him to his left. Make him throw across his body a little bit. He's going to, you know, that's where I think teams have had success. I, I call it a mush rush. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a slower sort of spying type of pass rush. Um, and that's what Patrick doesn't want. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's not super tall. Um, you know, he's not Doug Flutie short, but he's also mm-hmm. not Dan Marino, Elway, you know, kind of statuesque, Tom Brady statuesque either. And so he needs to find those pockets within the pocket. If you take that away, you know, you limit that extra second or two that he gets to find the open receiver, and then you see him forcing some throws. So, you know, here I am, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm giving, I'm giving away some secrets of things that I've seen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any defensive coordinators listening that are going to listen to me, but I think personally that's what teams have done to make him less effective. Joe, we'll definitely forward this tape to Gus Bradley. When we're off of this, but uh, <laughs> but during a press conference, I did hear Patrick Mahomes say that he tries to limit interceptions, but at the same time, he has to be himself. Do you think he's struggled to find the balance between playing it safe and playing like himself in recent weeks, and that's maybe why he's had some modest passing numbers? Yeah, definitely. I think I definitely think that's the whole reason. I think he, you know, Patrick is a and Patrick and and the offense. Let's, let's lump the whole group together. Mm-hmm. They are a time of possession. Uh, squad, right, so to speak. They, they need they need time to get going. They need to find the weakness in the defense. They need a little bit to get going. Because remember, they're running game from a pure out, you know, all out, like mash it up and smash it. They're not, that's, that's not the Chiefs. Even though they have a pretty decent, aggressive offensive line who blocks well together and, and can zone block and, and create some holes for their running backs, they're really, I mean, they're, they're a passing and extended running game offense, right? They're not they're not, you know, they don't have Derrick Henry back there. They don't have, you know, the old, uh, 
you know, Bears offensive line from mm-hmm. 1985, right? They just don't have that kind of an offense. So it's it's more of an athletic, you know, let's find let's find the gaps, let's find the holes, let's find the weakness type of an offense. And it takes time to do that. That's why the Chiefs historically have been a, a slow starter offensively, points-wise, in first half. If you go back and look historically through their box scores, they've never been a team that has scored much in the first, even the second quarter. You know, they've always been a third-quarter, fourth-quarter team that will tend to put up more and more points as the game goes on. And I think what was happening is the defense was playing so poorly that the and, and time. If you look at the time of time of possession of the games where they've struggled and the games they've lost, very rarely was it a game where the Chiefs won on time of possession. Yeah. And 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 I think that's what teams try to do. And I think the Raiders like that was always my biggest fear when the Chiefs, you know Chiefs were playing the Raiders with Josh Jacobs. It was like, is he going to have one of those Josh Jacobs type games where he can get a hundred plus yards? And the Raiders can, you know, have a 35 to, you know, 25 type uh, game clock, uh, you know, time of possession win. So that's when the Chiefs get into trouble. Yeah. And, and, and they, they need that time out on the field to play together. So that's what, you know, the long answer to, a, you know, to a short question of why <laughs> I think Patrick has, has not put up the numbers. And, and those are all, I think, all of the contributing mm-hmm. factors. Plus, I think he's. I, I gotta be honest, and again, I don't mean to beat this, you know, question to a pulp, but sure. I just see something. Look, look, here, I'm, I haven't thrown a, I haven't thrown a football in a game since I was in seventh grade. So, <laughs> like, like I, like I have a, like I have a leg to stand on, right? The guy who smashed into other 300 pound guys for most of his life. Um, I, I, I think he, I think he, something has changed in his mechanics. I, mm. I don't, and it's just because I've kind of tried to look at it and. I just have seen something a little bit different. It's like kind of watching. It's like watching a pitcher, who you know, a Tiger. It's like watching Tiger Woods when he when he changed his swing, right? Get a different coat. You get a different coach. You're, you're trying something new, and then and then the golf game goes to hell in a handbag, right? So I, I just I see a little something like that in, in what Patrick's doing, and I don't. I can't quite put my finger on it because most of my life I spent looking forward and not looking back at quarterbacks throwing. But um, I just think there's something different in his mechanics. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know a lot of other quarterbacks. Again, we're talking to Joe Valerio, former offensive line with the Chiefs and also the host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. And, and, and Joe, I know a lot of quarterbacks that, that cover games, you know, obviously a lot of analysts talked about that a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too. Uh, with a couple minutes we have left with you, I want to ask you this because you talked about the defense Steve Spagnuolo's defenses continue, and you look at the stats every year, they get better as the season goes on. With that, uh, coupled with how the the Chiefs' offense is getting better as well because of the defense, uh, and you look at the schedule, the Chiefs have, of course, three AFC West games left. They have the Steelers and the Bengals. Uh, You feel like this team is exactly where it needs to be, that it's hitting that stride it needs to to hit the playoffs uh, on fire and, and maybe to make another big run. I, I mean, you know what? The numbers would show that they are, right? If mm-hmm. you just, I know, I know that NFL games aren't won on paper and, you know, they're not won on websites. They're, they're won out on gridiron. But, you know, I, I, I went back and I, I kind of forgot, to be honest, that when the, the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they started out 6 and 4. Right. Um, they didn't have, like, they didn't have the struggles that this 6 and 4, now they're obviously 8 and 4, but when they were 6 and 4, they didn't have, like, some of the some of the ups and downs that, that the Chiefs did as a six and four team, but still, but nonetheless, they were still six and four. And then when you do look at the schedule, you know, I think about you know, look, 
this this game is going to be – I think this game is going to be the tipping point for the team. And, and mm. I think a lot of people have been saying that week after week. But I think if the, if the Chiefs get by this Raiders team who has had, obviously, their their games where if, if they play anything like they played against the Cowboys, against the Chiefs, come on, it's going to be a game. It's be, or yeah, if they great. play anything like they did against the Eagles, which I watched, you know, every minute of that game being a Philly <laughs> kid. And, you know, I was like, the, you know, I, 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 root, I, you know, I'm rooting for the, for the Eagles, obviously, to beat the Raiders. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I'm rooting for the Raiders to beat the Cowboys. So, you know, that's, that's the, that's the way it goes, right? When, yep. you're, when you're a fan and, um, you know, if they play anything like that, um, it's, it's obvious that, that they can beat the chiefs, right? They, they beat the Cowboys and on Thanksgiving, which, you know, which is the Cowboys big day and they go out and shine and, and do their thing. And, and I think, um, this is going to be a, this is going to be a watermark game for the chiefs. When they look back, if they can make a run, they're going to say, okay, this, this was the game. Yeah, and and and, and Joe, like like I said earlier too, and 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 I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, but I said, you know, they t- kind of started turning it around against the Raiders, and now they have an opportunity, I think, to take that next level. And the Raiders need to save their season, so it's going to be an exciting game. But we certainly appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We hope to catch up with you again. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe the Raiders find a way to get in the playoffs, or at least talk to you next uh, next year. Uh, but Joe, thanks, man, for being with us and and spending so much time with us. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it, All Joe. Right, take care, guys. Happy holidays. Take care. Uh, great interview there with Joe Valerio. Mo, real quickly, we're running out of time here. Switching to Raiders versus Chiefs, I think it's going to be real tough to go into Kansas City. There was calls by fans, by folks in the media, including former Raider greats like Lincoln Kennedy to start Marcus Mariota versus Derek Carr. So much going on, Mo. What chance do you give this team going into Kansas City? Not much of a chance. Uh, usually when I don't expect a lot from the Raiders, they surprise me. But I just, I just find it hard, as you said, to see them going into Arrowhead and coming out with a win. I think it's headed south pretty quickly here. Yeah, and I wouldn't read too much into the, the Marcus Mariota stuff. Some people think it's unthinkable. It's like, well, your offense isn't working. And if it was a different – if the quarterback was Andy Dalton and he was performing like this, they would bench the guy. It's just the way it is. I'm not calling for it. I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility. And if the Raiders start off on offense against the Chiefs, like they've done the last couple games, you might end up seeing Marcus Mariota go in there. For Mo, I'm Scott. And for everyone here at the Mightier 1090, take care, Raider Nation. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.